Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 20 as we continue on in Acts. Uh, we're now at Acts chapter 20. And uh, back at uh, Wayne Hills Baptist Church, we had a unique family join our church. They were a pastor and his family from North Africa. I can't really tell you the specific country because it's still a security risk to put a specific country out there. But it was there in North Africa. And they had been granted asylum by the U.S. government. In that country, he had experienced, uh, they had experienced plots against them, persecution and imprisonment. And unspeakable things were done to him while he was in prison. Uh, they had friends and co-workers who were killed for the faith. Um, so, you know, you hear about that sort of thing happening, but they um, were among them. And he was such a blessing to our church. I remember one time he spoke to us, and it was like the Apostle Paul had come right out of Syria, uh, another Middle Eastern type country and stuff, and, uh, and spoke to us and um, about, uh, you know, just really sacrificing for the faith. Now, suppose that brother was a member of the tabernacle, and he came to us and said, I'm looking for eight young people to take with me back to my country for about 18 months to share the gospel. And then he said they will need to work part-time while we're there to take care of their expenses like I do, and I will not be able to be with them all the time. In fact, sometimes I will leave them in a city without me. And other times I will send them ahead to another city without me. And it's possible some of them will not make it back home. Now, imagine the faith and courage it would take for those young people themselves to want that assignment and accept that assignment, and imagine the adjustments they would have to make. And then think about their families for a moment. Think about your children, your grandchildren, your uh, nephews and nieces and those that you love, and imagine uh, how your heart would feel while they were there and prayers for them and all those different things as those loved ones went out. I imagine, among other things, it would motivate you to pray, <laughs> to pray for their safety, to pray for their success in sharing the gospel, to pray uh, that uh, Jesus would mean more to anything than them, to them than for the rest of their lives. And they'd always be an inspiration because they'd taken the time to do that. Um, well... Now we've got our heads around kind of what we see in the passage for today. Because in today's passage, we're going to read of a number of men from multiple cities traveling with the Apostle Paul as he wound up his third missionary journey. We'll see them, and I'm, I'm doing this because I've watched a lot of football recently, you know, college football and pro football. But uh, we're going to see them on the field and in the huddle with the Apostle. And we'll talk about how the Christian life is a mixture of training and practically applying what we learn in everyday life. So you're filling the blank. First one is training. And now we're ready to read Acts chapter 20, the first 16 verses. 
after the uproar had ceased, the uproar from back in Ephesus, the riot there, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over the region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews, the Jewish leaders, the Judean leaders there, plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secondus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. <laughs> Eutychus says, I wish I was in the scriptures for another reason. I wish I'd been one of those guys that was in there for being on a missionary turn. I'm the guy that fell asleep while Paul preached. Um, he was sinking into a deep sleep. <laughs> he was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. <laughs> but Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, Paul departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. They were very encouraged. They were comforted by that. Uh, and it was a great story. Verse 13, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed through from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tragilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day at Pentecost. As an observant Jew, uh, Paul was still very much trying to uh, keep the Jewish calendar uh, as part of who he was, even as he was such a key figure in reaching Gentiles for Christ. Um, aren't you guys glad I didn't have you read those city names? I'm fairly confident, and the, name, and the people names too, I'm fairly confident I got some of them wrong, uh, but I think I got a lot of them right. Okay, so on the field and in the huddle is the message, and first we look from the first six verses on the field. Back in Acts 19.21, so as the chapter 19 ended, it says in verse 21, When these events were over, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, I must go and see Rome as well. I must see Rome as well. So one of the main purposes of Paul's trip back to Jerusalem was to deliver much-needed financial relief from all of the new churches to the Jewish believers there who had been devastated by the extended famine in Judea. And actually, he probably wanted to give money also to some just Jews that were not believers, but were Jews, his fellow Jews, uh, so that um, that would adorn the gospel presentation that he would make to them uh, when he did it. So certainly helping Jewish believers there, Jewish background believers, but also helping uh, Jews too, like the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews does, um, and our Friends of Israel that we budget uh, helps them also. Romans 15, 27 is a real powerful verse for that because he says that if we Gentiles have benefited from 
uh, the, the Jews in spiritual things, we should minister to them in material needs being met. And so, so thankful for this church's long history of uh, doing things to bless the Jewish people um, through the, um, both those uh, many different ways. I know Chosen People Ministries has also been here in the past, uh, but through the International Fellowship uh, that now Yael Eckstein is over um, and uh, Yael Eckstein is over and also um, the Friends of Israel. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, Now about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside and save to the extent that he prospers, so that no collections will be need, need to be made when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you recommend by letter to carry your gracious gifts to Jerusalem. It, if it is also suitable for me to go, they will travel with me. So, uh, you know, all kinds of people throughout these churches were excited about their ability to do a Christmas offering type thing too, like we just finished up and we were excited about it, to, to bless the Jews during a time of famine back in uh, Jerusalem. Back in chapter 20 here in Acts, the first three verses show Paul making these travel plans a reality. Now, Acts 14, 21 and 22, after he finished his first missionary journey, we're told that Paul uh, traveled back through all the places and strengthened all the disciples that he had, uh, of the churches that he had planted in all the different ways, which was pretty cool. And we know he told them, it is through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So he said, listen, you're a new, you're a new Christian, let me tell you, you're going to have some troubles along the way. And we need to, when we lead somebody to Christ, we need to tell them, look, it's not going to all be uh, candy and nuts from here. You know, there's troubles along the way. Uh, not everybody's going to like that you're a Christian. Uh, you know, prayer is not a magic wand or a, a genie in a bottle or things like that. You know, sometimes what God wants to do is form you to be ready to hear no from Him and to experience even tougher things than you have to this date. And one of the things about being a growing Christian and a fruit, faithful and fruitful follower of Jesus Christ is, uh, one of the ways that in this life God rewards your obedience with is tougher levels of things to do as you go through life. Uh, Job, right? His friends came along and said, you're suffering. It must be because of something you did. That was their simplistic wrong theology, you know. Uh, around the world people believe karma. You get what you deserve. Well, uh, the scriptures is more complicated than that. There is a reap what you sow principle but God's grace and mercy uh, overrides that in many different ways. And He does let wicked people prosper and do seem to be doing well. And uh, saints suffer and children have uh, things and stuff like that. Job was not experiencing bad things because he was one of on God's hit list or God's judgment list. He was one of God's favorites. In fact, uh, God was the one that proposed to Job, uh, hey, have you thought about tr trying to get that one off track? I don't think it'll go off track, you know, and we get the book of Job because of that. And it's really good that we do because um, it, uh, it helps us understand some of the mystery of all that and stay away from simplistic things. By the way, when we talk about karma and how the world's religions talk about karma, karma teaches you get what you deserve, either for what you've done in the current life or a past life. And one time a reporter was talking to the Christian uh, rock star Bono of U2, the group, and I don't know how straight he is with the Lord now or anything like that, but uh, the reporter said, you seem like a really cool guy, but you talk about Jesus all the time. He said, I, I thought you'd be a karma guy. And, and Bono said, you don't know what karma teaches, do you? And the guy said, well, you, you, it's my interview with you, you tell me. Bono said, karma teaches you get what you deserve. He says, if I get what I deserve, I'm in big trouble. He said, I'm holding out for grace. <laughs> So anyway, I thought that was neat. 
Well, verse 1 of chapter 20 here tells us that Paul is encouraging the disciples in Ephesus before he left. And verse 2 tells us he went through Macedonia exhorting the disciples at length. So no doubt he did the same thing every time. He'd uh, in Greece where Corinth was. And these are such great words. Uh, he embraced, I love that from verse 1, he encouraged, it's in there too. Wherever he went, he would strengthen his fellow disciples, encourage them, exhorting his fellow disciples. So wherever Paul went, he added value. That's your fill in the blank. He added value to his fellow disciples. That's a business phrase I love. I think I've shared it before. But um, it includes seeing work that needs to be done and doing it, but also developing other people while you're working together to achieve each other's goals. Um, one of the best, uh, I was in a chapel at Bryan College one time, and I thought, I can't learn from this guy. I'm going to be a preacher, and that's a guy that owns a big company and has lots of employees and things. But he said one of the most memorable things of any chapel I was in. He said, management is developing people through work. He said, if you love the Lord and you've got something to manage, it's not just about the product, although it's about the product. Everybody wants to get raises and you know sell their product and things like that. But as a Christian, your first responsibility is to manage, uh, to develop people while you're doing the work together. And that stuck with me my entire life, you know, uh, because even in Christian organizations, even in churches, a group comes together, they've got a task to be done, and uh, sometimes, uh, you know, whoever's leading isn't thinking about how to strengthen the people even as they're doing the task. And every task we do here at the Tabernacle, whether we're having a staff meeting or taking care of children uh, or deacon meeting um, or uh, whatever it is that we got to get done, um, we should be thinking, how can I encourage my brother or sister to grow in Christ even as we're getting this work Thing done together, you know, and that's a great way. So, I, one of the best things I ever heard. It makes me think about what Paul said uh, to the believers in Rome. He hadn't been there, but in Romans 1 11 and 12, he says, For I want very much to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And uh, so I love that, you know, that he pictured interaction with believers as, man, when I get together in the same room as Sister Vicki, I'm going to encourage her. I bet she'll encourage me too. And that'll happen with Helen. That'll happen with the Thompsons. It'll happen with the Hogans. It'll happen with the Davidsons. It'll happen with everybody we come into contact with, you know. I've got some way of encouraging them. They've got some way of encouraging me. I think that's why in Hebrews the author says, uh, you know, don't forsake the assembling together of the saints. But before that he says, you know, what you need to do is consider one another. So you got to show up to be able to do that. Then you think about people and where they're at. You want to consider one another in order. Do you remember what he says? In order to stir up two things, love and good works, you know. And I had a great conversation with somebody today, and they're like, you know, love being at the Tabernacle, new member, things are going great. I uh, want to talk about some other ways that I could possibly serve. Thought that's great, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> you know, don't don't say yes to too much. You know, um, but that was uh, really neat. So it sounds like Paul was just about to set sail for his home church in Antioch of Syria with the men and money that were with him, and then go to Jerusalem to meet physical and spiritual needs there. Uh, look at verse three. Verse three tells us that uh, the Jews plotted against the Jewish leaders around that area, plotted together against him as he was about to sail to Syria. 
So a plot was devised, and maybe this plot involved something that was going to happen on the ship because they decided to go over land instead of by ship for that part of the thing. And it reminds me, you know, Paul's basically a kind of missionary here. And we, uh, you know, this past couple years, three years now with pandemic upsetting turmoil and stuff like that, I'm reminded that missionaries used to speak about being flexible. Got to be flexible. Plans change. Got to be flexible. But then they realized even that word flexible is too rigid. <laughs> We've got to be fluid. <laughs> fluid is more flexible than flexible, you know, because things can just kind of flow in a different direction pretty quick. And you have to be able to trust in God uh, that he's in control and not up in heaven biting his fingernails. And I have lived that the last couple years, you know, as the leader of this thing called the Tabernacle, pastor leader, um, because all the rules... Uh, have been different <laughs> these last two or three years, you know. Um, and everybody's still trying to figure out, okay, what do things look like this side of these enormous global changes that happened in relationship to COVID-19? Uh, they still say one-third of people that were in church before the pandemic, you know, spring of 2020, one-third, um, some of them did come back and then decided, you know, I like staying at home better. So one-third of the body of Christ is not in church. That was beforehand. Um, now, by God's grace, we, don't see a, we haven't seen a third less of giving, you know, and we haven't seen a, a third less of volunteering and stuff like that, you know, but very difficult uh, environments to plan in, you know. And, uh, you know, we are used to thinking, okay, I preach, I evangelize, we do that together. We grow, we keep growing, we grow, 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 grow. Uh, and there are times in the kingdom of Israel when England was a nation in America now, you know, uh, where um, the order of the day is faithfulness and you still want to grow, you want to be fruitful, um, but you don't want to compromise to do it. You don't want to draw a crowd through uh, paganistic, uh, doing pagan things and baptizing them in, in a Christian way. Uh, and, and you really got a different faith than the one that was once and for all delivered to the saints and things, you know. So, uh, and, and you see uh, the challenge there. Um, so we got to be fluid um, because, uh, and understand God's not in heaven biting his fingernails. He knew that we'd have the challenges we have today. Uh, he knew there'd be lots to get excited about, lots to be concerned about. And he knows he's coming back. And we know he's coming back, you know. And so we want to be faithful until he comes and fruitful. Um, Things like this often happen plots. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11. I think this is familiar to many of you, but sometimes it's good just to see uh, the kind of things that Paul not only was going through himself, but what he was submitting <laughs> these young people that were willing to go to these areas with him to. 2 Corinthians 11. And as he starts uh, trying to, you know, there were some people some false apostles that were questioning whether Paul uh, was um, really had a key role in the church like Peter. And um, so Paul had to defend his apostleship. He talks about being able to work the miracles of an apostle. He did have a key role along with Peter and those guys. Uh, but then um, he uh, goes into a, a very helpful list for us that love studying the scriptures and love seeing dots connected. We try to figure out where each of these things happen. Look at some of the things he experienced. 
So he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So he's talking about some of these Judaizers just pressing, pressing, pressing. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Stripes are, you know, the time a rod or a, you know, a leather belt type thing hit his back, stripes leaving permanent scars, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So we know that they had to stop at uh, 40 because people didn't survive much after that, you know. So 39 is where they would stop. So that's why he says it so poetically, 40 minus one. That means five different times Paul was whipped within an inch of dying, you know. Three times I was beaten with rods. So in addition to the stripes, three more times with rods. Once I was stoned, and he doesn't mean by that what the uh, legislature said was okay a few years back. You know, he was hit with rocks. You know, they threw him at him to die, not smoking marijuana. Three times I was shipwrecked. Think about the turmoil related to that. Uh, you know, uh, it'd be hard to get in another ship. Uh, you might just stay where you are for a while, right? I think I won't travel that way anymore. <laughs> um, three times shipwrecked and then, you know, being overboard, possibly drowning, you know. Um, a night and a day I've been in the deep. And by that, I think we mean you can see Paul clinging on to something for a day and a half uh, up and down in the salt water, you know, waiting to be rescued or waiting to float to shore. Very traumatic. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst. He wasn't saying in Holiday Inn Expresses, you know, sometimes very tough surroundings, sometimes not enough food, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? And this really touches me because he says, yeah, all that wore on me physically, but there's something wearing on me spiritually, emotionally, mentally. On top of that, my deep concern, it comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And then he thinks about who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Think about that. So he, he you know, uh, he, he was thinking about those prodigals. He was thinking about uh, those people in defiant sin that they'd had to uh, discipline some. He was thinking about those that didn't have a really good reason to be making the decisions they were making, you know, and those things. It just, um, he thought about the little children uh, who were being led astray by parents or guardians or this person or that person, you know, led to stumble. And he's like, oh, no, you know, they're, they're misusing their uh, position to um, mislead somebody. He's thinking of false teachers there. Uh, he's thinking of those that say, it's okay, come drink because we drink. You know, it's okay, come do this because we do this, you know, and all those different things. If I must boast, I will boast in the all things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. And it really strikes me as funny. He remembers one more thing. Of course, they have to, in paper, they have to write it down when they remember it. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hand. So, oh yeah, I remember one, one other thing I had to go through. And he puts that in, which is great. Because um, he'd been through a lot. Um, now, with those kind of things happening around Paul, 
No one would risk their lives serving him, would they? <laughs> Certainly no one would entrust their family members or friends to situations uh, where bad things could happen, right? Well, not according to verse 4. Look what verse 4 is. It says, it tells us of eight men from at least six places that were with Paul, not just to meet the physical needs in Jerusalem, but to try to win people to Christ. So I put a map on the back of your notes, and as we go through these, you might try to figure out where they're from if the city's listed on there. Um, so Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea. Do you see Berea over there in Macedonia? Macedonia is the province, and uh, Berea is the city. We know about the good Bereans that were from there. They were the ones that searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was so. One of them wound up traveling with Paul. How about it? Sopater. I look forward to talking to that fellow. Two from Thessalonica, Nica, Aristarchus and Secundus. Count up, make sure we get our eight here. That's also in Macedonia, uh, which is uh, Europe, you know, there. Um, Gaius is from Derby. Uh, is Derby on, this, Derby on this map? Derby might not be on this map. It's back down there in um, the lower part of uh, Asia Minor there, uh, uh, closer to where it says Pamphylia, I think, up in that general area is Derby. Uh, that's in Galatia, just past uh, Paul's hometown of Tarsus. So Timothy's from Lystra. And um, I thought since we put the third missionary journey map, I might have given you all uh, the most unhelpful map here. But anyway, you might have another map in your Bible that does better for you, but it happens, especially after the day we've had in the office. Um, that's next, Lystra's next to Derby in Galatia, and Tychicus and Trophimus are from Asia. That's places like Ephesus and Colossae uh, that are on your map there. How many did you get? We got two. <laughs> okay, we got Sopater, Aristarchus, Segundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus. That's seven. But I said eight. Who am I missing? Who else was on the trip with him? Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, who's writing it, right? He may have met uh, Paul back in Troas, so that's his hometown. So the commitment of all these believers, despite possible trouble, is inspiring. And say, how could they and their families take such a risk uh, to get the gospel advanced? Well, I put here for you um, that... Uh, John 3.16 and John 20.21. 20, we know what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What does John 20.21 20, say? John 20.21 20, is where Jesus says, to, after He's risen from the dead, as He's commissioning His disciples, He says, as the Father has sent me, John 3.16, like He sent me because He loved. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Wow. So God is sending us now. How could they and their families embrace such risk? Well, He sent His Son to actualize salvation for all who believe. He sends us to give people access to that saving message. And it's an honor when one of our children, grandchildren, church members, etc., takes up that call and goes and does that. And I'm so thankful uh, for the many ways that's happened in the tabernacle's history, passing the baton of faith to the next generation, to other areas. Uh, I met a young man um, uh, this past week, and we have a very full set of missionaries right now. I don't know if there's a way to support him or not, but I was so encouraged by hearing him just for a moment, and I'll, 
sometime I'm going to try to have lunch with him next week or two. And you know who one of the form, formidable influences on him was when he was at Spring Garden Church? R.J. Barber Jr. Yeah, yeah. Those years R.J. spent at Spring Garden, Presbyterian over there, community church, Presbyterian, whatever it is. Um, and this fella wants to take his wife and two kids and go be a missionary in Japan with Send International, which is a great missions organization. And I just thought that's so cool. You know, he said, we don't have many people. I, I think he still goes there. They don't have a lot of people over there. But what really got him fired up was our dear brother RJ, which is a great story. A great story. Um, so God is now sending us. They had peace with God. They knew that this life with its temporary troubles is short compared to eternal joy in the presence of the Lord. They also were sinners saved by grace uh, who wanted to get the good news to other sinners still lost, going to hell. Jesus had come and suffered, as I said, to actualize salvation. We go out and they went out and suffered to give fellow sinners access to that message. And believers are still doing that very thing around the world today. And that brings us to a church service in Troas. So here we go to Troas, where Luke's originally from, uh, we think. And now, so I wonder if Eutychus was related to, you know, Luke. But we go from on the field, now they're in a church service, and it's in the huddle. We're in the huddle now. So what f football teams do? They don't always do it today because some of these teams just go right to the, you know. But traditionally, they make a play, and then they come back, and they get in the huddle, right? And uh, in the huddle, the quarterback will call play. And what's he call that play based on? What do they have? What have they been? Information. They got a playbook, right? And they've been looking at film all week. They've got plays. They've been studying them. When they mess it up, these days, you know, they've got, they got printers that they send down to the field and they print out and here will be the quarterback that threw the interception and they'll show him the picture of what he got wrong. You know, and he's, he, he, so they're studying all the time. They're studying the playbook so they can get out there. In the huddle, they call play and it's based on the playbook. Now every player is expected to already know the playbook pretty well. New players to the team won't know it as well as the veterans. Uh, of, the, of course, right? Uh, new, they're new players. They're in the, it's a system. So every team wants the veterans to help the new players understand what the play is that they're going to run. Back in the huddle, the play called will address what needs to happen on the field, and then they need to go back on the field uh, from the huddle to the line, and they need to execute the play that's been called. Now let me ask you this. Some of you have been to great games. You've been to peewee games, you've been to high school games, you've been to college games, some of you might have been to a pro game. Have you ever, as a spectator, while you've been watching a game, seen those fellas in the huddle and blurted out, what a great huddle! Woo! Man, that was, a, that was about the best huddle we've ever had. I'm sure our team's going to win now. Based on the way we huddled up, I guarantee this next play is going to be a humdinger and a success. No, you don't do that. You just take it for granted, right? You take it for granted that they got organized enough to come out to the field and run the play right. Um, and in fact, the huddle's kind of boring compared to what happens during the plays. Um, but every fan knows that the adjustments made during the huddle and half times are often key to how well prepared the players are as they take the field. And, of course, there's also being able to make adjustments as you go with a leader like the quarterback does and stuff like that in live time. Um, now, do you all understand I'm not talking about football? 
<laughs> I'm not talking about football, am I? In verse 7, Luke tells us that on the first day of the week, he says, we assembled. So they assembled together. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been assembling together on the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, for the Christians, every Sunday is Easter because we're celebrating what happens because Christ rose from the dead. It's our big celebration. Luke says they gathered to break bread, they, physical bread and spiritual bread from the Word of God. And I made the note here, New Testament aligned churches are to be simple churches. Whatever else we are, we're to keep it simple. Kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, saints. Gather together in fellowship and prayer. Observe baptism and the Lord's Supper, the ordinances. Do that regularly. Learn from God's playbook, the Holy Bible. Then depart, do ministry and missions until we gather together again. Because we've been in the huddle, the church service together, Sunday school classes together, meetings that we have together, we ought to be effective when we go out and minister. Uh, but nobody's cheering for us during the huddle time. It's when we get out there and do the ministry doing the Good News Club, doing the prison ministry, doing the, uh, you know, uh, realizing what God can do when we gather together across the generations in pickleball. And Darlene leaves halfway early and goes and does some work at God's storehouse. And we've got volunteers from God's pit crew in here. And we've got people that have been uh, wonderfully deaconing, whether they're official deacons or not, you know, uh, meeting needs all week of church members and writing cards and all the different things that we do based on our gifts. Um, now, I'm guessing it means more to me than it does to you to see that Paul got to preach from the afternoon until midnight. You say, Danny, the way we're going, we're going to be here till midnight. Okay, I'll, we'll try to move it along here. But then uh, after healing the poor sap, you know, Eutychus that falls and breaks his neck and dies and he heals him. Uh, uh, what did Paul do? He got back in the pulpit and preached till dawn. <laughs> now, Luke does let us know, though, that 12-hour messages were not the norm. So don't worry, you know, it's not that we're supposed to, because we follow the book of Acts, you know, do what the early church does and have 12-hour messages and things. Um, but these believers, they didn't know if they'd see Paul again. Troas probably hadn't seen a lot of Paul before. They're like, we might not get him again. Let's, let's just soak everything we can out of this moment. This is the Apostle Paul. Um, and they wanted to hear everything he had to say. And I'm sure a lot of what he had to say now appears in the 87 chapters of the New Testament that he wrote between Romans and Philemon. If he wrote Hebrews 2, and he might have, 100 chapters, which is pretty neat to think about that nice round number. So he preached all the great doctrines. He preached about God's sovereignty and God being in control and what Jesus did on the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He preached that we're sinners that need a Savior, and God chose us before we choose Him. We need to, under His conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent and believe, and then the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside that those who believe are forgiven of their sins, have a reserved place in heaven, and we're now to be ambassadors for Christ until we get there. All those great things that he taught. And how must, wonderful it must have been to have, hear Paul go all through those great truths. And uh, it makes me uh, thankful for the times I've gotten to do that, you know, long times of teaching. Got to do one in Kenya recently, those pastors, those dear pastors. By the way, I, I, people have been asking about rain and whether it's raining there. And I did uh, message one of the fellows there, and he said, we're getting a little, getting a little, pray for more. Getting a little, pray for more. So Kenya's still dry, pray for more. But getting a little, so saints are praying, keep on praying. And the time I got to do that before in Tanzania, I went through the entire book of, uh, in Tanzania, I went through the entire book of Revelation in 40 hours, five days. So they're eight-hour days. That's a lot of listening to Danny Campbell talk, you know, but they made it through and loved it, you know, and the Kenyan guys loved it too. We did about 40 hours of teaching with them. 
what a time it was in the huddle. Then they got back out on the field. And in both those places, there's a lot, a lot of good things happening. Um, so because of this, in the huddle, on the field, in the huddle, on the field, gathered together here, but we're not a pile of salt here. We need to go out and be salt, right? So then churches get planted, needs get met, light gets shined, evangelism gets done, new churches get planted that plant churches that plant churches. And 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost, but they tell us 3,000 are saved every hour around the world today. So praise the Lord for that. And some of that action does happen on a Sunday when the gospel is preached and taught. Uh, but the huddle time, and we go back out on the field. Verses 13 through 16, the on the field again, on the field again. Verse 16 is interesting to me because it says that Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the three festivals they were supposed to observe, and they meant a lot to Paul. And uh, if Paul got there in time, there's going to be lots of people to witness to. And just about everywhere they traveled back to, Paul had a church he could recommend to others because of the church planning they'd done. Any converts might even travel back to their city with one of the young men with Paul from the same city, which is pretty neat. And of course, they helped the struggling church there. Um, if they got there in time for the festival, another witness would be the Jewish travelers there, seeing how the churches throughout the Roman Empire were committed to ministering to the Jewish believers and beyond in Jerusalem. And so, so thankful for how it all comes together. They're back on the field. They're there to witness. They're there to share, uh, meet needs. They'd come, you know, and uh, man, so thankful for Disaster Relief, Southern Baptist, God's pit crew, other thing that uh, go there after fires and floods and hurricanes and things like that. And as they share, they get opportunities to share the gospel, which is pretty cool. Well, huddle time's about over, and it's time to get back out on the field, team. Are you glad you're on the team? Woo! All right, let's go score for Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.